Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're here in Israel, Colin. We're walking around the Holy Land, walking in the footsteps of Jesus for the next 10 days and making programs as we go. So today we're at Caesarea Philippi up in the north of the country, an extraordinary place really. We're at the site of uh, a very a very famous biblical site. But when Jesus was there, of course, it would have been a, a Roman temple. Yes, we're finishing this first of these two weeks of programs uh, in a place that was of tremendous importance because it marked a turning point in the whole relationship that Jesus had with his disciples. According to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there was a, a process of revelation, really, that took place as to who Jesus really is. John's Gospel is written from a totally different perspective. He is not trying to write a historical account of Jesus. And right from the very beginning, he proclaims him to be God, the Son of God, the Word of God that was made flesh, the one who brought all creation into being. But there was this gradually unfolding revelation of who Jesus was. And it was at Caesarea Philippi, right up in the north of Israel, that Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Key question, because everything that you believe actually hinges upon the answer to that question. And Jesus had been trying to get away at various times just before this uh, to be alone with his disciples because he needed some time to teach them and to prepare them for the events that were going to unfold when they returned to Jerusalem. So uh, he, he'd gone to the coast, didn't get very much um, peace with them there. He'd been across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side and people followed him there. So now we find him right up in the far north uh, around the area of Caesarea Philippi, not actually in the city itself, but in that area, the scripture says, perhaps near where the um, source of the Jordan River is. And we can imagine him sitting in a quiet place with his disciples and putting this question to them, who do men say that I am? And first of all, they trotted out the current theories. Well, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, one of the prophets. And Jesus cuts across all this and says, but who do you say that I am? That's the real question, not who do others say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And of course it was Peter that said, um, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. And that was the first time that anybody had dared to openly proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus commends Peter, well, that was revelation that came from the Heavenly Father. That wasn't your own thinking. It was God showing you the truth of who I am. Now they know who he is. Jesus begins the whole process of prophesying to them what is going to happen to him. And this, of course, is cutting right across any of their expectations of the Messiah or any of their desires for Jesus, whom they'd grown to know and love. He made it clear that 
in Jerusalem, he was going to be rejected. He was going to be reviled and abused. He would be crucified. But on the third day, he would rise again. Now, of course, this was not to, to uh, Peter's liking at all. So he draws Jesus aside and says, not so, Lord. And Jesus looked straight at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're on the side of man, not of God. Now, that seems a very harsh way for Jesus to treat Peter. But he was teaching him a very salutary lesson. Just a few moments before, he had been the mouthpiece of revelation from God. Now, having recognized that Jesus is the Son of God, he dares to argue with him, to disagree with him. And uh, the only one who disagrees, who goes against the truth, is of course the devil, is Satan. So now Peter has to realize that because he's disagreeing with the truth, he's arguing with Jesus, he has become the mouthpiece of Satan. What a lesson to learn. And how important for all of us to realize that it's never wise to disagree with Jesus, never wise to go against the truth of his word, because we then become a mouthpiece for the enemy. So this was a, a very salutary lesson for Peter and, of course, in the presence of the other disciples for, for them to learn as well. But now Jesus goes a step further and makes it clear to them that to be a follower of his, there is going to be cost. They won't have to face the same cost that he is going to have to face, but they will have their own cross, not a cross that is going to be imposed upon them, as was the case with Jesus, but a cross that they would daily have to take up for themselves. What does Jesus mean by that? He means, well, there's going to be sacrifice necessary. There's going to be cost in taking the gospel to people, in loving those who we are called to love. So Jesus said, if any man would come after me, that's anyone at all, not just those original disciples, but if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and come with me. And therefore, it's going to involve denying yourself, denying what you would want to do, denying the nice, easy, cozy, comfortable life that perhaps you might like, even as a Christian. No, deny what you want in order to Embrace the will and the plan and the purpose of God for your life. Be prepared to take up your cross and follow after Jesus. And then he says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. In other words, the one who wants to live for himself is going to lose everything. But the one who is ready to deny himself, to lose himself for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, he is going to find real life, eternal life. He is the one that will have the eternal reward with God. So we can all do a check on our lives here. Uh, let's assume that you are like we are, Caesarea Philippi, and say, well, who do I think Jesus is? Yes, I know him to be God. I know him to be the Son of God. I believe he is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Very well, if that's what you believe, then you must believe what he says. What he says about himself, what he says about his purpose, 
what he says about you as a follower, as a disciple. Just like those men had to take seriously what he was saying at Caesarea Philippi, so you also need to take seriously what he was saying. There was one other thing that he said here about Peter that has been greatly misunderstood in the life of the church. When he commended Peter for this revelation that he was the Son of God, he said to Peter, you are Peter, which means the rock. And then he says, on this rock I will build my church. Now, you would think from our English translations that he means that he's going to build his church on Peter. But, you know, God would not build his church uh, on a man. What does he mean? Well, in the Greek there are two words, petros, which is a rock like a boulder, and Petra, which is the bedrock. And so he says to Peter, you are Petros, you are like a boulder, a rock. And on this church, Petra, this bedrock, meaning himself, I will build my church. Now, of course, the foundation of the church is going to be the apostles and prophets. So uh, Peter is one of those apostles that's going to be key to the establishing of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus had returned to heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out. But Jesus is the head and he is the, he is the rock upon which our lives are built as the church of Jesus Christ. So it's a great shame that people have exalted Peter above what God was really intending and above what Jesus was meaning by these words at Caesarea Philippi. Let's acknowledge how important he is, how important Peter as an apostle was in the whole purpose of God. But let's remember always that Jesus is the foundation of our lives. He is the rock upon whom we are built. He is the immovable, ever-reliable, dependable, faithful one upon whom our lives are based. So Caesarea Philippi became a very important turning point in the ministry of Jesus because from here he and the disciples went south back to Judea and eventually to Jerusalem and Jesus repeated these prophetic words about his um, crucifixion on a number of occasions but the disciples now had to begin to live with this realization that things were not going to turn out as they had thought. It wasn't going to be, well, finally, everybody must surely accept who Jesus is, even all those Pharisees and religious leaders that had opposed him. No, the truth of the matter was that they were going to have to come to a revolution in their thinking, that it was necessary for the Son of God to die, to take all our sins upon himself, all our sickness, all our failure, every need, so that he could become the savior of all mankind. And all those who put their trust in him, indeed, are forgiven, receive eternal life, and will live and reign with God forevermore. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 